Well, good morning, Springbrook. How are you doing today? Well, I tell you what, Chicago is on fire for the Loyola Ramblers. Unbelievable. Eleven seed in the South, and they are in uh, the Final Four. Unbelievable. And In fact, one of the guys, I think the center, is a guy from Jacobs High School. Cameron, yeah, yeah, amazing. Just he graduated last year. He's a freshman, six foot nine. This is their chaplain. Yeah, <laughs> Jean Dolores Schmidt, and she's ninety-eight years old, and she still lives in the dorms with the kids. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, it's so exciting for any sports team in Chicago to be doing well and to follow them and watch the games. And there's nothing like sports that really get us pumped up, that really we just want to express our excitement in all different types of ways. And I'm going to tell you today about Palm Sunday. And typically we don't think about Palm Sunday in that way. But it was very much that way as we will see. Now, what's your image of Palm Sunday? What comes to your mind when you think, okay, this is what Palm Sunday looked like. Maybe it's this, right? And we have Jesus riding on the donkey. But the people, they look like they're at a funeral, right? <laughs> I mean, these people were excited. Uh, that's, that's not the way they were. And there were a lot more people. I don't know where those little kids came from. They're sent from heaven as cherubs to uh, bring Jesus in. Now, we have a lot of misconceptions about it and hope we... We can uh, uh, correct those today. Luke nineteen twenty eight, And when he had said these things, that's Jesus Christ, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So he's heading to Jerusalem in order to ride in on the donkey. Uh, let me give you some background here. Let's go back to the Old Testament. And we know, of course that the Jewish people were slaves to the Egyptians, and that Moses was called to liberate them. He was pretty reluctant about it, but he did it. And Pharaoh was a tough cookie. It took ten different plagues in order to convince Pharaoh that he should let my people go. We think about the Nile turning into blood, and the frogs, and the locusts. And the ninth one was the death, or excuse me, uh, the darkness that came over uh, the area. And then the tenth one was the angel of death. So there was an angel of death that, pa angel of death that passed over the people. And God had told the Israelites, you can save your firstborn child because the angel of death would take any firstborn child where they hadn't done the proper things. And they were to take a lamb and to sacrifice it and take the blood from that lamb and paint it on the doorposts, the blood of the lamb. And then they would eat the sacrifice. They would eat the lamb. And Passover came, and the angel of death came. And, of course, he passed over the Jewish people's houses where they had put the blood on the doorposts. But, of course, the Egyptians hadn't done that, and so they lost all their firstborn. Pharaoh lost his son, 
And finally, that was enough to convince them. And, and they left Egypt. They were liberated. And the Israelites did a great job of celebrating what God had done in their lives. So they had these different festivals where, where they remembered different times when God had blessed them in a very special way. And, and Passover was the one, of course, remembering about the angel passing over and not uh, bringing death. So they had a week-long festival. And as you remember with the Jews, they all had to come back to Jerusalem, no matter where they were in the world, because God was in the temple. That's where the sacrifices were made. So these pilgrims came from all over the world. And they came upon Jerusalem in order to celebrate this special event. Now, I've got some bad news for some of you. Uh, it wasn't really Palm Sunday. It was Palm Monday. I'm sorry about that. It really shakes you up. But yeah, when you look at the chronology of Jesus Christ last week, uh, what happened was is that if you make it Palm Sunday, you're missing a whole day. Like on Wednesday, in fact, I was looking at some charts, and on Wednesday it said Jesus was preparing. <laughs> Nothing else, you know. The others were just filled with all this stuff. Yeah, it was a Monday. We know also historically uh, that the date of that particular Passover, you know, ninth day of the 14th month, whatever it was, that was a Monday as well. And what the Israelites would do is they would bring a sacrifice into their home. They'd bring a lamb into their home on Monday, and then they would sacrifice it on Friday. And they treated it like a pet. <laughs> That's not healthy. <laughs> Let's take care of what we're going to have this Friday. But all I just say is that you had Monday through Friday, and that's exactly what Jesus was doing. That foreshadowed when Jesus was presented to the Jews as their king, and, of course, how they rejected him and how he was sacrificed on a Friday. As we look throughout the entire Old Testament, everything points to Jesus Christ. Everything points uh, to what he was going to do for us and the salvation that he was going to bring uh, to all those who are willing. It says in Luke 19.29, When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the moment that is called, amount that is called, Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. And everybody knew who the Lord was. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had been told. Well, we see Jesus Christ, omniscience here. He knew exactly that the colt would be there and that nobody had ever ridden on the colt before. And what to say to the person said, hey, why are you taking this? Uh, he was omniscient. And it's interesting as you look through the Gospels because Jesus uh, limited his uh, divine abilities or attributes to a certain degree, but there are many different times when he knew it was in people's hearts or he knew it was happening uh, before others uh, did. And that's always, a, uh, that's always an encouragement, right? 
You know, God knows what's going to happen in your life a week from now, a year from now, three years from now. And that's why we can trust Him. Because He is omniscient and He is sovereign. In John 11.43, we see the story of Lazarus. Now, we remember Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, brothers and sisters, and and they were close friends of Christ. He would many times stay at their house, which was just outside Jerusalem, uh, and they would care for him there. He would sleep there many times, and especially during Holy Week as they come upon it. And so what happened was that Lazarus got sick. And they sent a messenger to Jesus saying, hey, you've got to get back here quickly because Lazarus is dying. Now, the unusual thing is that Jesus Christ didn't go right away. He waited a day. And when he finally got there, there he said, why did you wait? Why weren't you here earlier? He's dead now. And Jesus Christ said, well, he's asleep. And that what did Jesus Christ do? He looked at the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come out. Now, it's good that he said Lazarus because he was not mentioning a name. Everybody would have come out from their graves, right? That's how powerful Jesus Christ was. Lazarus, come out. And you just can imagine the people looking saying, is this guy crazy? I mean, he's been in the tomb now for a day or two. And then all of a sudden they see this walking mummy. <laughs> it's all bound up and things like that. And he's coming out. He must have really sunk. Uh, but they took the linens off him, and he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, this was the pinnacle miracle of Jesus Christ. This really brought so much credibility. I mean, Jesus had been going throughout the land for three years and had been teaching, and everybody was so enthralled with this teaching because it was God teaching, right? And he's doing all these miracles and now raising a man from the dead. This is just two weeks before Palm Sunday. That news traveled like wildfire uh, throughout that area. And again, it was all Jesus' purpose in doing that. It's interesting that so many times when Jesus heals a person, uh, he tells them not to tell anyone or not to tell anybody if they know that he is the Son of God. There was a man, uh, oh, excuse me, the man who had dead came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. Now we get to a man with leprosy, and Jesus heals him. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof for them. So, he had been healed of leprosy, and he wanted to tell people. <laughs> leprosy. Yeah, they had a whole separate colony for lepers. They were contagious, and oh, they just were the lowest and the low in society. But Jesus Christ had transformed his life, and he wanted to tell people about it. I mean, people would notice a difference, don't you think? I think that they would. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Right now, not now. Wait. Aren't you glad when you made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior 
and Lord, and your life was turned upside down. And the person who led you to Christ, hey, keep this a secret, okay? We're a small community. We want to keep it on the down low. Don't go telling people about Jesus. Well, we don't have to do that, right? In fact, the Bible says, yes, go and tell people about Jesus. Do everything to go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to go out and tell this incredible news that once was a secret. Zechariah 9.9 is a key prophecy found in Zechariah. This was 500 years before Palm Sunday. 500 years this prophecy was made. And there's over 350 prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ's life. Uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What you need to understand is how important a day this was to the people of Israel. Because, again, they knew the Scriptures, the ones that were available to them at that time. They knew this verse. And teenage girls wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. This whole idea of the Messiah was very, very popular in the culture. Because, again, the Israelites had been through so much. I mean, of course, you had David's kingdom, and then you had Solomon's kingdom. And that's when they were at their zenith. And then everything else was downhill from there. What happened? Well, Solomon sinned and uh, there was a civil war and you had Israel in the north and Judea in the south and they were taken into exile for 70 years and they were brought back. But they never were anything what they were during the time of David or Solomon. And that was their one hope that someday... The Messiah, the Savior, would come and that He would reign. And that they would return to their place of power. That they would be the dominant one and not the Romans. They no longer would have to live under Roman rule. Of course, we talked about Zacchaeus, how he's a tax collector. And he could collect anything he wanted. He was a thief. And they didn't have to live with that anymore. When Jesus came as the Messiah, this was a real game changer. So, so you need to think about Palm Sunday, that these people, with all that prophetic knowledge, all the things that they learned growing up, it all kind of came together for many of them. And they said, oh, this is our Messiah. This is our King that we have been waiting for. Coming on a donkey, and it was very uh, traditional in those days, uh, the custom uh, that a king would ride on a donkey coming in uh, to a city. Uh, or a mighty warrior would also be honored in this way. And so Jesus Christ was identifying himself as the Messiah. Luke 19.35, and they brought a Jesus, that's a donkey, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. It was kind of a makeshift 
type of uh, saddle, I guess you could say. And when Jesus got on that donkey, everything changed. Because He, for the first time on this earth, was saying, I am the Messiah. I am your King. I am your Savior. I am the one that you have been waiting for. This is why the disciples were so caught up. Everybody was looking for a political Savior. Someone to rescue Israel. And the disciples thought, well, Jesus is going to get his act together at some point and realize that he needs to set up a kingdom. And uh, we're going to be a part of it. And they were arguing about who is going to be greatest. And that wasn't the case at all. And Jesus told the disciples, I am going to die. I am going to be crucified. And they said, no, we will not accept that because that does not fit into the plan that we have for you. You have a plan for Jesus Christ? Have you got his job description down in terms of what he needs to do in your life to keep you healthy, to keep you safe? Uh, you might prosper, uh, reduce problems. Everybody kind of has an idea of what God should do. But God doesn't do those type of things. God does His will as He determines it in your life. And we get all mad. Well, God, why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? It's God's will for you. It's God's will for Jesus Christ that He would come, not as a political Savior, but as a spiritual Savior. And friends, it's so important. I know all of us are struggling with something, some issue, some area of our life where we're hurting we're anxious, uh, we're sick, and it's like, what is going on here? And we need to continue to come back to a Christian worldview and say, God put me on this earth, not to enjoy myself, but to be a testimony for who Jesus Christ is. That's why I'm here. Now, it will continue to help us and encourage us, but let's not control who Jesus Christ is in our life. Okay, let Jesus Christ control who He wants to be in our life. Amen? Amen. And as He rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now, why did they do this? Well, in ancient times, the custom was that if you had a king coming your way, or a warrior, someone very, very important, you would lay your robe out so that they might ride over it. And what you were showing them uh, was that you were submissive. The whole idea of being a king is one who is set above and that we are under his feet. You ever wondered why you know, all the thrones are higher? Well, because people are saying, I'm submitting to you as king. I'll do whatever you ask. That's the idea. That's what we should be doing uh, with Jesus Christ. So, uh, they weren't going to lay down there on the on the pathway with a robe on. They they threw their paths as a symbolic way, saying, "We submit to you." So you have this beautiful mix of coats and different colors and things like that, and and people are excited. How excited are they? Like this group right here, okay? Now you take the cub gear off, and you'll see. 
a group of Jewish people who were ecstatic, much more ecstatic than we were when the Cubs won. And there were so many people there, and really so many people around Jesus. The tenth year after Jesus Christ, he was at this Passover, ten years later, they estimated that 256,000 lambs were slain. They figure that's about 10 people per lamb, a family. And so that would be over 2 million people that were in Jerusalem during this time of sacrifice. So we think, okay, maybe it's over, at least over 1 million uh, when Jesus was there. And so how many people were actually witnessing Jesus riding on this donkey? And I think at least it was 200,000 people. 200,000 people, which looked a lot like this. You ever been in a big crowd and you feel kind of the pushing and you're being pressed? That's how it felt. Because everybody wanted to be next to the main event. Jesus Christ. So it didn't start just at the entrance wall. It started way before that because people were coming by just to be around Jesus. So he was moving on his donkey and this huge crowd that was surrounding him. And the people were pouring out of the city when they heard that he was coming. And it was pandemonium. Jesus kept moving on this donkey. And it's such a powerful picture because this is what the Israelites have been waiting for for so long. What they had thought about on a daily basis. Will the Messiah come today? Will He rescue us? Will He give us freedom? Will He put us back in the position that we once were in? And these people had heard the teachings. They saw the miracles. And they said, yes, this is our Messiah. Of course, the Bible tells us that the Jewish people rejected Him, right? And they did eventually, right? Because these were the same people who on Friday were saying what? Crucify Him. Crucify Him. They were very, very fickle people. I mean, they just got caught up in the excitement. Oh, this is our Messiah. And then Jesus goes over to the temple and cleans out the money changers. And He doesn't act like a political Messiah. In fact, He gets arrested. What kind of political Messiah gets arrested? So by the end of the week, they're saying, oh, we were so, so wrong. I mean, if he was going to save us, he certainly wouldn't be arrested. And they said, crucify him. Verse 37, and he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works that they had seen. Now we think about the disciples. Yes, there were the twelve disciples. But again, there were many more disciples than that. That were followers of Jesus Christ. So they're probably on the inside because they knew it was going down. Uh, but everybody was crying out. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I just love when the kids come through. Waving palms. And again, they're crying out to God that they have a palm branch, which is a symbol of triumph. We call it the triumphal entry, right? That's what this means. Triumph. 
No power, victory. So whenever, again, a, a commander came back from battle or, or a king, they would cut these palms off the trees and they would wave them. And they really were a sign of victory, a sign of joy. The uh, most joy that they could ever experience during those periods. What were they saying? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. What does Hosanna mean? Can you tell me? Hosanna. Save us now. Save us now. He was their king. Save us. You're here. They were proclaiming him that they believed that he was the Messiah. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Again, there was a promise that through the Davidic line or ancestry that a, a Messiah would come and set up a new kingdom. Now, one of the challenges was, as you look at Old Testament prophecy and you look at the coming of the Lord, it's like looking at two mountains far off. They seem like they're right together, but they're really not when you get up close. So the first time Jesus came was as a Savior, a Savior Messiah. And the second time He's going to come, He will be the Messiah who will set up a new kingdom. But they, they weren't aware of that. Uh, they were confused. But now we can see the whole picture that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And is that not our hope? Is it? Amen? Yeah. Could Jesus come back today? Well, let's see. <laughs> he could come back today, all right? We've been closer than we've ever been, especially with the escalation of where our world is going. And yeah, we could be really close. It could happen in our lifetime. Especially those who are really younger. <laughs> but it could happen in our lifetime. Can you imagine that? Jesus Christ coming back to this earth. And friends, we need to continue to remind each other on a weekly basis that heaven is our home. And earth, we're just passing through. We've got to get our minds around that. I was watching on the news and they were talking about exercise. And they were saying that you don't really have to get too aggressive to get the exercise you need uh, for your health. In fact, it takes 60 minutes a day. 60 minutes a day. And you can even divide that into five-minute portions. All right? So you've got 12 five-minute periods. I guess what I've been trying to do. I'm always, on, I'm always walking. I've got my Fitbit. And uh, at least I'm being consistent now. I'm on a roll. Uh, so you continue to pray for me. But yeah, I'll, I'll step out of the office you know, every hour if possible, and I'll just take a 10-minute walk around the church or here, listening to music. And yeah, you know, it really has made a difference. And I, I was thinking about that as I saw this. You can extend your life. You can live longer and friends, the people in this world, that's the only hope that they have. They cannot see eternity. They don't want to think about eternity. So they're going to grab onto this life and do whatever people say in terms of being healthy so that they can live longer. 
Because after this, the game is over. It's done. No wonder people live in the way that they do. I only have so many days on this earth, and I'm going to enjoy myself in the way I want to enjoy myself. We can't blame them for that. If they don't know about Jesus Christ as the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Savior, Jesus Christ who's offering them salvation, eternity in heaven, walking with Him here on this earth, Finding the hope that you never found before. That's why we need to tell people about who Jesus Christ is. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now the Pharisees and the religious leaders, oh, they had been planning probably <laughs> a couple of months after Jesus Christ appeared on the scene to kill this guy. Because he was claiming to be God. And of course he wasn't. And he was getting a whole lot of attention. People weren't paying attention to them anymore. So they were waiting for the right time to arrest him. And what God did through Jesus, he, he put together the perfect time. When, when Jesus Christ was more popular than he'd ever been, to have all these thousands of people saying, Save us now! And what, that hap- what happened was, is it moved the religious leaders to take him down quickly. Because this thing had gone out of control. I mean, it was bad before. But now the whole world is going after him, right? That's what they said. The whole world is going after him. We have to take action. And little did they know that they were part of God's plan. Because God planned that Jesus Christ would be our sacrifice. Not a political Savior, but a spiritual Savior. How does Jesus Christ respond He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That's how great our God is. If we don't lift our voices, nature is going to start singing around us. Look at Psalm 105, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim His greatness. Let the whole world know what He has done. That's our responsibility, isn't it? We're to tell people how Jesus has transformed our lives and that everything has changed since we came to Christ. So who are you seeking to reach? A person in your family, certainly. I think everybody has one in their family they'd like to see come to Christ. But how about outside the family? Who... Who, where, where has God put you in someone's life where you know, you know, this could mean that I'm going to be the witness at some point? Let's, let's close our eyes together. I just want you to pray for a moment. First of all, I want to thank you. I want you to thank God for His salvation. And the fact that He came down and gave His life for us. Now I want you to think about people in your life. People who don't know Jesus. And and pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes. Pray that you would be able to do whatever you can 
in order to tell them about Jesus, in order to show the love of Jesus Christ. Pray for those people right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're a disciple-making family. We want to help people to thrive, to take that next step in their, their spiritual lives, Lord, because it's so amazing as we grow closer to You and one other Christ followers to feel the same and to challenge and encourage each other. Of course, at the same time, Lord, we want to be looking outside to our community, the people you put in our lives, and, and we're asking, Lord, give us an opportunity to invite them out to Easter or start a spiritual conversation or just love on them. Just have that relationship with them so they can get to know what a, a Christian is all about. Lord, thank you that we do not need to remain silent as that leper. Thank you that we have your full blessings, your full power, your desire to tell other people about him. In Christ's name, amen.